that's one of the things I love about running is that it's when I was coaching I would always we talk to the girls about setting goals and I think it's important to have goals that are qualitative and they'd be like we want to have fun we want to enjoy ourselves which that's awesome that's great but at a certain point and especially at a certain level if you want to be at a certain elite level those things are important too having fun enjoying yourself enjoying the process but there's also like you have to be able to quantify what you're doing you have to go okay like I made U.S. champs or I ran this time or I made a final um it tells you that are you on track for what you said you wanted to do um, which I kind of like about it because it's, it is very cut and dry. Um, there's a lot of gray area with a lot of things, but this is, it's very black and white. You either succeed or you didn't. That was Collier Lawrence, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 116. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. I'm so glad that you're joining me today. Can I take a quick minute to say some mushy thank you stuff? Thank you for listening to this show. Thank you for valuing honest conversations. Thank you for being open to hearing from guests whose life experiences and opinions might be different from your own. And thanks for the more tangible stuff as well, for taking two minutes to leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. Seriously, it's such a huge help in spreading the word and helping new people to find us. So thank you so much for taking a second and doing that. And thank you, of course, for supporting and funding the show on Patreon. This is truly a community-funded podcast now, which means that we have complete freedom to come together with more honesty than ever before. I have such a wonderful guest to introduce you to today, but first, in case you're new to this show, I want to just take a second to explain what we do here. At the heart of it, my guests and I are really committed to one simple and powerful thing, telling the truth about our lives. No one's here to sell you anything. No one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life. I certainly don't have any magic bullet, 10-day, six-step life hack plans for anything. So if that's what you're looking for, sorry, I don't have all of the capital A answers. Um, As a recovering self-help junkie, I'm actually pretty over that approach. And my guess is that maybe you are too, and that that's why you're here. So yeah, that's not what this show is about. Here at Real Talk Radio, I sit down with athletes, writers, entrepreneurs, parents, coaches, adventurers, artists activists, and many others, and we dive deep into meaningful topics like work, love, sex, money, addiction, friendship, racism, body image, mental health, grief, fear, courage, change, and everything in between. This is definitely an adult podcast covering adult subjects, often using adult language, and we never shy away from telling the unfiltered truth in an open and honest way, even when it's uncomfortable. So with this mission in mind, you won't hear any ads or sponsor promotions. These honest conversations are 100% listener-funded, made possible by awesome regular people like you who give $8 or more per eight-episode season. The show is and will always be free, but if you love it, if these conversations make you laugh, think, or just feel less alone, I hope you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per eight-episode season. You've probably heard me say this before, but I seriously do believe that where we spend our money is a real-time vote for the kind of world that we want to live in. And when you help to fund this show, you're voting for a world of honest, judgment-free conversations. You're voting to hear more stories from a wide-ranging group of people, the vast majority of whom are women. So when you support this show, you're saying, loudly and proudly, that women's voices deserve to be heard, and that no topic should be off-limits due to fear or shame. 
This is a show by truth tellers for truth tellers. And as a thank you for supporting the show, you'll get access to over 40 hours of bonus content, as well as our monthly book club, my weekly behind the scenes email series where I share my real life in real time. And you'll be the first to know when tickets go on sale for new Real Talk Live events. So one more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And at the very end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our Patreon community members who joins me for a fun little rapid fire question round. So stick around for that after the main episode for sure. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Collier Lawrence. Collier is a pro runner and a member of the Wazelle Haute Valet team who lives in Bend, Oregon and trains with the Little Wing Group. In both 2012 and 2016, she competed at the U.S. Olympic trials in the steeplechase. A self-described jack-of-most-trades, master-of-none, Collier is also a sister, daughter, amateur soup chef, and suicide prevention advocate. In this episode, Collier shares stories from her running journey, why she started, how she fell in love with it, when she realized she was good enough to compete at an elite level, winning, injury, self-doubt, and everything in between. We talk about motivation, why she does what she does, as well as the choices she's had to make and the things she's had to give up or put aside in order to pursue running at such a high level. She also shares stories from her personal life, about her family, about competing in the same event as her sister and best friend, Mel, and about their dad's suicide four years ago. We talk about mental health, the importance of asking for help, and of reaching out to your loved ones who might be struggling. This conversation is one of honesty and optimism, and it was such a pleasure to have Collier on the show. I hope that you love this as much as I did. So all of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at NicoleAntoinette.com slash podcast. All right, we are good to go. Collier, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's I'm so just... fun to get to record in person. I never get to do that. I know. This is pretty great. And it's different than when we normally talk on Wednesdays. It is different. <laughs> you mean because there's microphones and I get to talk to you for a really aggressively long period of time? Yeah. And we don't have soup, which is totally cool. That's true. Wait, okay. So explain soup night for what you're referring to yeah. for people who don't know. Uh, so on Wednesdays, we have a group of people that come over to my house. Um, I send an email out. It's supposed to be Mondays, but usually it's Tuesday night. Um, That has nothing to do with soup, except for I list what soups we're going to have. And then everyone comes over to my house on Wednesdays and have soup. It's my favorite day of the week. Um, Tell me the origin story of soup night. So uh, we went to Albuquerque in 20 years, 2018, 2015, uh, for training camp for a month. And our coach, Lauren Fleshman, she had been there before for training camp and had stayed at this lady Judy's house and Judy had soup night. And so that was the thing we looked to every single week where we'd like finish our workout Tuesday and we're like, okay, one weights and one run until soup night. And then Wednesday, we just have to make it through this long run and then we have soup. And so it was kind of our like thing we looked forward to every week and then we brought it back to bend yeah and it's the best and you make multiple soups and there's always a vegan soup which makes me so happy and it's sort of like a byo bread or beer or whatever and so people just like show up and eat soup and it's the best yeah it's pretty awesome you know it's funny i've been thinking a lot about um tradition or just like ritual or it's something that doesn't have to be like a huge deal but the thing that i like the most about soup night is that it's low pressure and regular that it's like Mm -hmm. it sort of meets your like social needs for the week it's instead of having to make individual plans with everyone it's like oh 
this people that I love are going to be here and all I have to do is show up and I can wear my pajamas, which I often do, and eat some soup and then go home and go to bed at a regular time. It's basically the best. It's like the best Nicole approved event ever. No, that is the best because it totally, that's um, one of the selfish reasons I have it is that then there always comes a point in the year where I can't really hang out and I can't do things just because I want to go to bed early or just life and traveling. And it's sort of my selfish way of getting to hang out with people without having to be like, well, maybe like Friday night and just a time that works for me personally. (laughs) So yeah. So everyone who's listening, start your own soup night, (laughs) make a bunch of soups, have friends over. It's the greatest. Um, this is also feels very exciting for me. I often joke about how, um, having a podcast is a secret weapon for making friends with cool people because it is, you can just reach out to people and like oftentimes, of course, sometimes they say no, or sometimes they don't respond. That of course happens, but oftentimes that's not the case. And I'm always like, Oh my God, I get to spend time with these people. And it's an extra layer of awesome when, people that like you, right. That are my actual real life friends. <laughs> but even if you talk to someone a lot it, as a friend, you often don't have these kind of like sit down. I'm going to ask you a lot of like deep question, right? Like it's just not <laughs> like, yeah. be a weird, like, okay, let's sit on this park bench and like, tell me about your childhood. <laughs> not that we couldn't do that, <laughs> but like it probably wouldn't happen. Just, yeah. It's just not something that would happen in like regular I know. outside this room life. Yeah. So I woke up this morning and I was like, what's everything I want to know about? <laughs> Give me all the details. <laughs> so here's where I want to start. Tell me the strangest or most random job you've ever had. Oh God. Uh, strangest, most random job. Oh, okay. Um, in college, uh, my fifth year, I needed a job. <laughs> um, and I worked at the vet school um, cleaning. It was kind of crazy. I had to be there four days a week at five 30 in the morning to clean from like the night shift. And then on a Saturday you would, there was one Saturday a month where you had to go in from like five to 11 and like take care of the animals and do that stuff. And then you'd go back at night three days a week. Um, and it only took like an hour max each time. So it wasn't a huge time commitment, but that's definitely the most random <laughs> like clean animal poop like in the night yeah or like and you would cycle through so it was like sometimes you'd have to clean the lobby sometimes you'd have to clean the exam rooms um my personal favorite was when we got to clean the surgery areas because you'd have the surgery rooms and you'd go in and there'd be like blood everywhere and it was like very messy and so you'd have to clean that and then like clean all the like pre-prep stuff too Okay. Why, why is the bloody room your favorite? Um, so my degree was in biomechanics and exercise physiology. So like the medical surgery side of things has always been super interesting to me. So I'd kind of be in there and be like, Ooh, like, I wonder what kind of surgery they had in here today. Or like, wow, they have like, sometimes it'd be pretty clean and contained on the table, but sometimes you could tell it was like pretty intense surgery and there's blood everywhere, like on the walls. It was pretty, it was pretty ridiculous. So it was always kind of, the other places were pretty standard. Like, you know what you're going to get. But when you'd go into the surgery area, it was like, I have no idea. I could be here for like two hours. It could take me like 15 minutes. So (laughs) Color lords, like soup and cleaning bloody animal rooms. (laughs) I also at that time was thinking about going to medical school. So I was like, can I handle this? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, okay, like this is a good intro to like maybe what's going to happen if I go that route. Okay. So tell me about the, the, I don't know if it was a day or a conversation or a series of things where you decided not to go to medical school. Um, so I just kept, after I graduated, 
to be honest, like I did not have the grades to go to medical school. Um, I had multiple mentors and advisors in that field that were like, you know, if you got an interview, you would totally be in. Um, but I just didn't have the grades to do it. And then I kept running and just didn't, just didn't go that route. So the path not taken. Yeah. That's funny. I always think about that though. Like if you look back on the past, what's the moment that if you would have made a different choice, your whole life would have been different. Yeah. Also I did terrible in OCHEM and that's kind of like one of the med school weeder classes where they look at your OCHEM score and it's like hard. No, (laughs) hard. No, absolute. Like do not even send a letter back that you're not getting in. (laughs) Just ignore your application got lost in the mail. That's so funny. Um, okay. So speaking of running, how did you get started with running? Um, so I went to a private school through sixth grade and we lived on a ranch and it was like 45 commute each way to school, um, and home. And so we'd leave school really early. My mom worked at the school, um, and then we'd get home pretty late. Um, and then in seventh grade, I went to a public school and I needed something to do until my mom could pick me up. (laughs) And so it was either sit there and do nothing or do cross country. And so I did cross country. And then, then it was hard because in the winter I didn't make the basketball team. So I had to sit there and do nothing. So then spring came and I was like, well, I guess I'll do track. And then just kind of like progressed from there. That's so funny that you just, you weren't like, Hey, I'm interested in this. I'm good at this. You were like, well, my mom can't come yet. So, (laughs) and like, I didn't do organized sports when I was little because we lived like where we lived. It wasn't remote by any means, but it was like, I couldn't do soccer because you had to do the league that was within your like residential area. And where we went to school and then getting back to where I could play was just like, like the timing didn't work out. So it was like, I didn't do sports or anything. So when did you realize that you were good at running? Um, probably not until my sophomore year of high school, my high school coach, Bruce, who is awesome. He's 84 now and he is just the most wonderful man. He's kind of like my grandpa. Um, he would always tell me, my freshman year that I was just always the bridesmaid, never the bride. I showed up to my freshman year of cross country. Apparently there was summer training. That was a thing. I didn't know about that. I showed up the first day of school and was like, yeah, I'm gonna do cross country. And everyone was like, we've been training since the middle of June. I hadn't run at all. And he was just like, okay. And sent me out. He's like, okay, like go run two miles. And it was so hard. (laughs) And then, like, slowly progressed, and then I got 20th at state my freshman year off of, like, no training. And they were like, oh, maybe, you know, she could, like, be kind of good. And then in track, I'd, like, PR in every practice. They're like, hey, what's your mile PR? And I'm like, oh, I just ran it. <laughs> um, and then going into my sophomore year of high school, I, like, actually went to practice and actually trained. And, like, I started running with the boys and that kind of stuff. And so it just kind of became... I just love the process of it. And then because I love the process, I kind of just progressed through. Yeah. I can imagine too, having so many wins. So like if you get better at something really quickly, that's like a positive feedback loop of, oh, I'm good at this. Oh, I'm doing well. Oh, I'm getting results. Okay. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to, you know. Yeah. It just kind of fed itself that it, yeah, totally fed itself. Cause every time you're doing a little bit better, you're like, oh, okay. And I, I think also the fact that I loved it so much and I just wanted to learn about the sport. Um, and he was also the club coach for the club team that we were on. And so 
you were just in this constant like positive environment of like I went to like I started at this like brand new school as a middle schooler and I didn't really have that many friends all through middle school and then I joined cross country as a freshman now I have all these friends and all these people I hang out with and it just like you have this community of people that also are cheering for you and you're having fun with them and it just like feeds itself. Mm-hmm. Were you, had you been planning on going to college? Was that always your path and running just sort of came into that or? Yeah. So it was kind of at our high school, it was not if you're going to go to college, it was where are you going to go to college? Mine too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was, I was always going to go that way, but luckily I was really fortunate in that my running enabled me to have the option of going to lots of different places. Um, cause I probably would have just ended up at the school that was in the place, um, at university of Nevada where I lived just cause it was local. It was there financially. It would have made the most sense. Um, but running gave me the opportunity to go almost to wherever I wanted. Mm-hmm. So, so, you mentioned having a great high school coach. I'm sure that had a huge impact too. I know that's not like everyone's story, but do you remember anything specifically that he said to you that still like stuck with you? Was there any really good advice that you got? Um, he always, so the always a bridesmaid, never the bride thing that always stuck. Um, cause there was a year where I would always get second and he's just like, well, babe, you're just always the bridesmaid, never the bride. And I'm like, Bruce, come on, like, give me a break here. Um, and then actually when I graduated college, I moved home, um, was trying to get a coaching job at different universities and I had breakfast, breakfast with him one morning. And I remember going, he asked me if I was running and I'd been hurt. And I was like, you know what? And I don't even have to run anymore if I don't want to. And he looked me dead in the face from across the table and he goes, babe, I taught you to run for life. And I was like, yeah. You're right. Okay. Noted. <laughs> so that's funny. So when you were done with college, did you think you were done with running? Um, a little bit. I hadn't, I had, what did I do? So I finished my eligibility in four years and then I stayed for next year because I had a class to take. Um, that was only in the spring and I kind of was trying to run still, but it just wasn't really going very well. And then I knew that if I got a college coaching job, like that was actually what I was going to do. I wasn't going to be able to run in the capacity that I wanted to, which I was fine with. Um, But also, as it's worked out, luckily enough, I didn't get any of those jobs. I actually didn't get a lot of those jobs. Um, And yeah, I kind of was content of just letting it be something I did for fun, or maybe I would go to trail races um, or go back to it later as the roads. But I was kind of over like trying to run fast and having it not work out. So was that what it was that you felt like you kept getting disappointed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, cause it would be, I'd get hurt or I would be super fit and I just wouldn't perform. Um, and then just the support aspect from it. I came from a school where you had everything, you had trainers, you had facilities, you had all that. And then I go home and I didn't really have any of that. Um, I had an amazing community and I ended up working out a system that I ended up having all those things. Um, but it was just really different and there wasn't, I wasn't fast enough to get a contract and I wasn't fast enough to really, like I'd never made a U.S. championship in high school. So it's kind of, or in college. So it's almost that, well, if you're not making U.S. championships, like why are you still trying to do this? You know? So then what changed if you were, so you were applying for these coaching jobs, which obviously you didn't get. (laughs) Um, but in that place that you seemed, it seems like you were 
okay to give up running or at least give it up in that capacity, mm-hmm. where did the like left turn happen? Uh, so then I got a volunteer position at the University of Nevada. Um, and the coach was like, you know, if you want to run with the girls, great. Um, he's like, that's awesome. I'd love for her to have somebody out there just kind of that having that volunteer situation, you get somebody that can give you feedback on how people are doing when you don't see them on, on runs. Um, and it also just gives them somebody to work out with that they're not competing against. Um, so it kind of takes that factor out of it. Um, and then I started running and then he'd be like, well, if you want to jump in a workout with them. So I jump in a workout and then I started to get fit again and kind of the same positive feedback. I do workouts and I'm like, oh, wow, like I still maybe kind of got it. Um, and then that just kind of like fed itself. And then probably, I mean, it only took maybe six months and then I was like, okay, I want to race. Like I want to get back on the track. I want to like try to do this for real. And so when you say that I wanted to try to do this for real, Mm -hmm. what does that mean? Like, can you be more specific? Um, I just want to try to see, like, could I make a U.S. championship? How fast could I run in the steeple? Because I always felt in college I would get sick or just wouldn't perform on the day or I never was as fit as I needed to be or I was overtrained or there was always there was always something. I mean, there's always an excuse for when things don't go right. Um, And so I just wanted to see can I still make this happen? Can I still run as fast as I've always thought that I could? Um, whereas six months before that, I was like, you know, I probably could run faster, but like, do I really want to like put that much effort into something just to be disappointed again? Mm-hmm. It's interesting too, to hear the path that it happened, that it's not like you sat down one day and decided, okay, I'm going to get super fit. It's like almost like the conditions were perfect of you yeah. had these girls that you were helping. And so you jumped in that, oh, okay. And then I'm going to jump in a workout. And it's almost like you look behind you and you're like, oh shit, I got fit. Maybe I could do something with this. Right. But, yeah. but I think that that's, I mean, not just with running, I think that that's something that's really relatable that oftentimes like on this, at the beginning of something, it seems so overwhelming, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, so many steps and I have to put in so much work into this. But if you just start and you just like get some momentum going that oftentimes that or like opens that pressure valve, you know, where not everything seems like a huge deal. Yeah. It just kind of feeds itself. And even like, so right now I'm coming back from an injury and it's just like, I have a very long way to go until I'm back to where I was fitness wise last year, but it's just doing one thing every day or so like I started running again. So now it's okay. When can I run for 30 minutes straight? It just kind of that you just go like little milestone to little milestone instead of I'm going to go all the way to being able to do a workout again on the track. It's like, okay, well, how about we just do a little bit by little bit? Mm-hmm. How do you, I mean, and I, injury was something that I wanted to talk to you about, but with that process that you just described, how do you handle sort of the psychological side of not getting too down on, you know, oh, I used to be able to do X or at this time last year I was this. And now, I mean, I remember when you, your first run, right, was what, like last week, last Wednesday or yeah, Tuesday or something Wednesday, like that. Not and, even a week you ago. Know, it was uh, whatever, a couple minutes on, a couple minutes off, like a tiny baby run compared to what you had been doing. Yeah. And so it's like, how do you adjust your mindset to the point where you're not feeling really defeated? Uh, I would lie if I didn't say over the past six months, I didn't have that. Uh, cause there were definitely days where I was just like, fuck this. I'm not, I don't want to go to the pool. I don't want to get on the bike. I don't want to go to the weight room. Um, and it's, I think for the injury that I had, so I broke my navicular, had to get a screw in running isn't, was not an option. Um, and then even that's now, in your foot for people who don't know, yeah, it's in your foot. Uh, it's the bone that basically when you plant your foot takes 
all of the blunt force and transfers it through the rest of your foot. So it takes a beating. Um, and so it, running was not an option. And even now, like the thought of running 30 minutes is really exciting, but also terrifying because I know that if I do that, it's going to totally ruin everything. And I can't, this is one of those situations where if you don't do it right the first time, there's not going to be an opportunity to fix it. Hmm. It has to be done right and correctly the first go around that you have to have patience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then even that, when my PT told me I could run last week, I'd been thinking for months how excited I was going to be. I was like, oh man, when I can go for a run, I'd be so excited. And she told me I could go run. And I was kind of sad because I wasn't that excited. I was more like, are you sure? Am I ready? Like, is my foot going to blow into a million pieces? Um, and like Mel, I went home and she like, could tell something was wrong. She's like, are you okay? I was like, I'm just not that excited to go run tomorrow. And she was so excited. She's like, can you do your run today? I want to run with you. Um, and I realized it was because I was scared. Mm-hmm. It wasn't because I didn't want to go for a run. I was just like so terrified that I was going to go and it was going to go badly. And I just didn't want it to go badly. Yeah. No, I mean, that again, that's incredibly relatable of like, I think about this in the context of writing. Like, if I don't write at all, then at least it's not bad, right? Like, that's I mean, true. And granted, the only time then you make the change is when the pain of not doing the thing like outweighs the fear of the thing. But I completely understand that as long as you keep not running, even though going to the pool might suck or getting on the bike yeah. might suck and not being able to run sucks, at least you don't have to confront, okay, well, what if this isn't actually fixed? Or, yeah. you know, what if this thing that I love, I'm not going to be able to do? Yeah. Also, I feel like when there's something that you've come to rely on so much, like your body or you're running and like something goes wrong with that, it's almost like you can't trust this thing that you used to be able to trust. Yeah. And then you feel like really off balance. Mm-hmm. And even with that, with the trusting, I have an amazing support system. They're fantastic. I trust them 100%. However, in the lead up to this of finding out my foot was broken, everyone was like, I would be shocked if your foot was broken. It's a soft tissue thing. It'll be fine. And then come to find out that it's actually, cause I was like, well, I probably have a stress fracture in my navicular. Um, and then come to find out that I was right. I had a stress fracture, but then it totally broke and now my bone was broken. So then going through this, now people are like, okay, it's fine. And I'm like, well, how do you know that it's fine? Because everyone said it was fine before and it was the exact opposite of fine. So it's that I have to trust that the people giving me the information that know, like they know what they're talking about. It's not just some random guy on the street that I'm like, hey, how do you think my foot looks? (laughs) Right. Um, Like they know what they're talking about and they're not going to put me in a position that is going to, I'm going to have steps backwards. Like it's not going to go perfectly, but they're not going to put me in a position that's just totally going to blow everything apart again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So So, uh, coming back, obviously this certainly isn't your first injury. Was there a point with this injury where you thought about quitting running? Uh, No. This, this go around, I didn't have that. Um, going into it, I was really fit. Um, I was probably the fittest that I ever have been. Um, and I had had really good momentum. I'd had a pretty short track season last year because um, I did this crazy race through the desert. Which I'm sure we'll talk about. <laughs> Which, yes. Yeah. Um, and so my track season was really compressed. And so 
the steps that I took to qualify for US championships and get really fit were all they were planned really well, but it was just a very short time frame. Um and so we'd kind of projected my season out a little farther than US championships. And so I was really fit. And so then I got hurt. I was like, well, I didn't even run anywhere near as fast as I like could have run this year if I hadn't gotten hurt, which seems to be a theme when you get injured, you're either generally when people get injured, they're pretty fit. Um, and it's kind of that fine line that you're having to constantly work with. But um, so now it's just a matter of how does my foot come back from this? Am I still able to steeple? Um, and if I'm not, then how do I go to the trails? Do I go to something longer? So now it's just kind of reframing what I want to do with running based off of how my foot progresses. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there'll be something, it'll just kind of depend on how the next few months go. Yeah. I'm uh, always really curious, not just with running, but like with anything that someone really cares about, sort of like what their motivation is or what their drive is. Like, did you, and, and how that changes over time, right? That like, cause right now it seems like you're open to, if it's going to be back on the track, awesome. If it's going to be something else, then, you know, it could have an evolution, but sort of, do you have any, I don't know, like outstanding goals or a feeling like you have like unfinished business with something or like sort of like what, obviously I know that you love running, but what mm -hmm. drives you to get to not just run for fun, basically. Yeah. Um, I think part of it is that this is just kind of what I've always done. So it's an easy path to like continue just picking up. Um, and then there's always been how fast can I be? Um, and it's always been more track focused just because that's also what I've always done. Like I graduated college and didn't do it for a little bit and then went back to it, but it's always been going back to the track. Um, but I've, it's kind of over the past few months evolved as if I can't go back to the track, I still want to do this and I still have, I don't know what those dreams and those goals are, but there's still something that I want from this sport in a highly competitive elite aspect that I'm willing to change the goals that I had on the track to fit that kind of undisclosed bubble that mm -hmm. I haven't filled yet. Mm -hmm. Something that I remember reading, I think it was on your blog, I think, um, that leading into like the year of the 2012 Olympic trials <laughs> that you hung a sign above your bed that had, what was it? The qualifying time? Uh, yeah. So it started out as it changed as the year went on. So at first it had 10 minutes and which wasn't the qualifying time. And then it had nine fifty four. I think was the qualifier. So then I changed it to that once I broke 10 and then I changed it to 945, which was the world standard. So it was just every night I would lay in bed and it was right there of this is what I want to do and this is what I want to achieve um, to kind of, okay, have I have the time to go to the Olympic trials. Now, like this is the time, this is the Olympic standard time, um, which in the US getting the Olympic standard generally does not mean you make the team because you have to be top three. Um but it was just kind of that series of steps to like A to B to C to D all the way, all yeah. the way down. So this is something that I find really interesting with running that doesn't exist in a lot of other sort of like industries or goals or that it is so quantifiable, right? That it's like you either run the time or you don't, yeah. right? Or to make the team, you come top three or you don't. That there, there's no like 
like you can't lie to yourself essentially, which is like, I don't know, like something that's both like horrible and amazing. <laughs> then when I saw that, that you would just had this like 955, 945, whatever it is, like handwritten, like tacked up there, like you either run that time or you don't. Yeah. It's very, that's one of the things I love about running is that it's, when I was coaching, I would always, we talk to the girls about setting goals. And I think it's important to have goals that are qualitative and they'd be like, we want to have fun. We want to enjoy ourselves, which that's awesome. That's great. But at a certain point, and especially at a certain level, if you want to be at a certain elite level, those things are important too. having fun, enjoying yourself, enjoying the process. But there's also like, you have to be able to quantify what you're doing. You have to go, okay, like I made us champs or I ran this time or I made a final. Um, it tells you that, are you on track for what you said you wanted to do? Um, which I kind of like about it because it's, it is very cut and dry. Um, there's a lot of gray area with a lot of things, but this is, it's very black and white. You either succeed or you didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, I think, and I mean, obviously not all goals fall into that, right? And yeah. plenty of awesome goals and intentions are not easy to quantify, but I think that there are a lot that are. And mm-hmm. I sort of like what I'm taking from what you're saying is, like at some point you have to be brave enough to set a goal that is really black and white. Like I th- I keep using writing as the example because that's like very top of mind. Mm-hmm. You know, that if the sort of where my compass is aimed at is writing 2,000 words a day, five days a week, like starting this year, which let's not get crazy. I have not done that. You know, yeah. like I think last week was my biggest writing week and I wrote 8,000 something words, which is great, but it's not 10,000, yeah. but it's also not zero. But like at some point I resisted for so long setting really specific goals when it came to writing because I was afraid, like sort of what you said before. Mm -hmm. And I'm really good at breaking the promises that I make to myself. And it's just a lot easier to be like, I'm going to write more. Yeah. Right. I want to enjoy writing. Well, I never enjoy writing. Writing's fucking the worst, you know, but I'm really happy after. (laughs) And like, yeah, you enjoy it, but like, what does that mean? Or like, I'm going to write more. Like, what does that mean? You're going to write two words on a paper. And like, you're like, yeah, I wrote more. Like I needed to get to the point where I was like, this is my goal. Mm Mm-hmm. If I push myself, I do have the time and energy to do this in my life, if I'm honest. And then I've you know gotten people on board to be like, you're my, like our friend Kate, she's my accountability person. I'm emailing yeah. her every Friday, like, here's my word count. Like, don't let me out of this, basically. And yeah. that like, at some point, obviously, depending on the goal, you do have to get to a place of like, you did it or you didn't. You did it or you didn't. And it doesn't yeah. mean that you're a terrible person if you didn't. It doesn't, you no. know, but you have to at least start collecting data somewhere. Otherwise, it lives as this like fantasy dream. Of, so I'm curious about that when it comes to like big dreams, fantasies. Like I can imagine. I mean, I'm projecting, but I I can imagine that you were like, I want to go to the Olympics. I want to do like right. That yeah. How has that sort of evolved? Like, what were or are your big dreams, and how have they changed? Um. So yeah, like that's. I sort of adopt this. If you give a mouse a cookie. like goal planning. Um, (laughs) Okay. Tell me more about that. That's amazing. (laughs) So it's like, if you give a mouse a cookie, you're going to have to give a milk. So I want to make the Olympic trials. Okay. Well, if I'm going to make the Olympic trials, I might as well like also want to make the final. And if I'm going to make the final, I might as well try to be top five. And if I can be top five, like why can't I be top three? (laughs) Right. So, but having said that, so you have these huge, big, scary goals where I sit down with Lauren and we go, okay, what do you want? What do you want this season? Um, and it's like, I want to make U.S. championships. I want to make the final. I want to run the world standard. I want to run in a Diamond League meet. Um, I want to do, like, here's my list of things. 
there's definitely small goals on the way to that. So, okay, you want to make U.S. championships. What does that mean? You have to run the certain time to get in. Um, okay, you want to make a final. A little more arbitrary because you have to be top five, but then you can qualify on time. So it's kind of a little bit of leeway, but it's very like if you run 10 minutes, like you're probably not going to get in. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, you set these huge goals and you kind of check them off as you're going. And a lot of them, like, you don't hit. Um, and so those goals, there comes a time where you have to take the goals that you don't, that don't serve you anymore and just shelve them for a little bit or get rid of them completely. Um, I think this upcoming year will be more of seeing kind of seeing what that road looks like to like towards the next set of goals. Um, I will be honest, I'll probably not this year, but I'll probably go to ultras eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, it's intriguing to me to see, do I want to do a hundred miles right now? Absolutely not. Do I want to do one someday? Maybe, I don't know. Um, I'll probably at some point want to run a marathon. So it's just kind of those other goals that I have, they just get shelved for a little bit um, or take other forms. Um, how do you think about in your goal setting, right? So obviously, you know, you have a coach, which is super helpful. And to be able to sit down and say like, here are my goals. Where's the line between it's awesome to dream big versus this is not realistic for me. Like, how do you think about that? Or how have you been advised on that? Um, Lauren's actually really good at this because, and actually I've been really fortunate in every coach I've ever had. I've had really big, crazy dreams that are probably not realistic, like making an Olympic team, probably not realistic, um, even in the past. Um, but there was still like, well, maybe there's a chance, like if things go right, maybe it could happen. Um, and I think that if there's things where maybe there's a chance, yeah, it might be like a 1% chance or a half percent chance. I think that those are worth pursuing, um, with just as much vigor as a dream that, is like 50% chance coming true. Um, knowing that a goal is, when you set goals, if you know that a goal is a reach goal or it's really unlikely to happen, um, I think just knowing that and acknowledging that is probably the most important thing. Yeah, Being like, you know, I'm probably not going to make it, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to do everything in my power to try to make it happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Because then there's also succeeding is great and reaching your goals is great, but I think you actually learn more from failing Um, because you kind of hit this point of like, okay, this is as far as I was able to get. And you can break down like all the reasons that this is, this is the max. Um, And if you don't set a goal, that's maybe just out of your reach. Like if you're constantly getting what you want, you're never going to be able to see like what your upper limit is. Yeah, no, I think that's so smart. I, I, I mean, obviously, I'm like obsessed with goal setting. I think about this kind of stuff all the time. That like, sure, it's great when you want a really specific thing and like that desire comes true. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I think that so often with goals, for me, if it's not something that feels at least slightly impossible, it's not going to be exciting enough for me to do the hard work. Because if you think yeah. about anything, whether it's writing a book or starting a business or running a marathon or, you know, like any of your specific running goals, mm-hmm. the goal sounds really sexy. And like the picture that you can post on Instagram at the end, like is really sexy. Yeah. But the 
one month, six months, six years, you know, 16 years or whatever between deciding to begin something and when it actually happens is like mostly unsexy and like mostly sucks. Yeah. Not to say there can't be little wins, but like it's not like glorious every day to like no. go do a workout in the rain or whatever, you know? No. And so it's like you, in order to get yourself to do, like to sort of fall in love with the grind or like to do the work, for me, I find that the goal has to be big enough that I'm almost like scared of it in a good yeah. way, right? That it feels like, that I have to become like a different version, a better version of myself to even have a chance to reach that. And then even if you don't reach it, it's like who you become in trying to get to, you know, the 1% yeah. virtually impossible goals, that's worth it no matter what. Yeah. Because even, yeah, you just kind of evolve, you're evolving as a person over time. Um, and I mean, through a person's lifespan, that's what, like, that's what you're trying to do. You're always trying to be, you're not always going to be the best version of yourself, but you should always be trying to be the best version. And so, yeah, setting those big, huge, scary goals, maybe that there's like a half percent or like a 0.1% chance it's going to happen. If you're throwing everything at it that you would to any other goal that you're probably going to hit, you are becoming that better version of yourself. And I think that at the end of the day is the biggest thing mm-hmm. is that you are becoming a better human and you are becoming like who you really want to be. I mean, and I think that's relevant for literally everyone in like any kind of goal setting, but I think Mm -hmm. it's particularly relevant. Your sport is so interesting in that, I I don't know like your actual stats, but I would have to assume in your event, your top 20, 25 in the country, Uh, higher-ish? Yeah, depending on the year. Um, Because figure 20... I'd have to look this up to double check. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have it's, to be Yeah, exact, so 24 but. women uh, make it to U.S. championships every year in the event. And it's sometimes it's more. There's a standard that's if you run 950, you're in. So if more than 24 women run 940 or 950, they're in. Typically, that doesn't happen. They set it up so that then there are some at-large people. Um, but yeah, top, top 25. I mean, so and in any other, let's say, industry, right? Like tech or like yeah. anything if you're top 24 in the country I at what you do Forbes 30 under 30 listen this is what i'm saying <laughs> like you would be and maybe this isn't true across the board but i sort of think it is like you would be incredibly wealthy you would mm-hmm. be like the I don't know, viewed as like super successful, like all of these things that come with the thought of like in anything that someone's starting, let's say they're starting an online business. Like if you could have the 24th most profitable online business or most success, that's, and yet it's almost like, it's like nothing matters unless you're like top three or you're making the team or not that it doesn't matter, but like I'm curious sort of, this is just like my view as an outsider. So what Mm -hmm. is it like for you to be like top 24, 25 in the country and Mm -hmm. yet not be Shalane Flanagan, right? Or like not yeah. go to the Olympics. Like what is that in your brain? That's <laughs> like so weird. <laughs> no, it definitely, it's like totally crazy. We actually, uh, a couple years ago at Thanksgiving, um, my aunt and uncle kind of asked me a similar sort of question. They were asked, they were like, well, what, like, what are you in the, co- what are you in the country or what are you in the world? And we looked it up and uh, it must've been, it was probably 2014 or no, not 2014 might've been 2012, whatever. There's one year where I was in the top hundred. I was 99. So I was just in that. Um, it like, it's cool, but I think because I've been in it for so long to me being in the top 25 of something like in this sport, it doesn't matter if you're not top three, you know, like it doesn't, it's cool. Um, so hearing an outsider's perspective being like, dude, you're top 25. And even like my aunt and uncle had the same reaction. They're like, Oh my God, that's incredible. And I'm just like, I guess it's cool. But like, I put that on a resume. I was 99th in the world. 
it, like it doesn't do anything. It doesn't mean anything. And um, yet it would in so many other, yeah. I mean, so I guess full circle to like why it's so important what you were saying before of like having the goals that are personally meaningful for you and that you yeah. value like getting like improving for the sake of improving. Cause like, I think basically what I'm getting at is like, if you were just doing this for some kind of like outside validation, like, yeah, it's like, so there's strange. Not, there's not this, like, like the only outside validation you really get is if you are top three or you make a, and you make a world team or you make an Olympic team or I don't even know, like, that's those are pretty much the only those are the only things so weird um Um, when it comes to running what specifically do you think you're really good at what's your superpower um that I work really hard um I'm not so this is also one of the other things that has kind of been ingrained in me from a really young age is I don't want to say that I haven't been told that I'm talented um, but that's never been something that people have used to describe me is that, oh, she's really talented. It's always been Collier works really hard. Um, she has a really good work ethic. She loves the sport. She loves the process. Um, so at the end of the day, like the advantage or the thing that I probably do better than other people is that I just work really fucking hard, um, all the time and to a detriment too. Like I work so hard that I end up hurt a lot or I end up too tired because um, I have a hard time not working hard because I hold on to that so much of, well, I have to work all the time. I have to outwork everybody, um, which in since I've moved here and since I've had Lauren as my coach, I've gotten so much better at that because she's really been, you need, like working hard is just as important as recovering hard. So I have to do, I have to do both. Mm-hmm. Um, where in the past it's always been like if you want to do this you have to work really hard and you have to work really hard all the time like there is no time to like recover and yet like recovery is part of being able to get where you want to go yeah. right it's like it's like hearing you say that it's like sounds it's so like so, well obviously recovery but I get how you can get in that mindset of like yeah. let me just like run a little more than everybody else or yeah, yeah. like uh-huh. it was always even in college my coach would we'd have the document every day of what you were going to do and it would be like call your or like see Lawrence six to eight miles and I'd be like could I run eight is that okay? Am I allowed to go to the upper end? Um, and so it was always do a little extra here, do some extra core here, do my freshman year. I would go out to the track after like my dorm was right across from the track and I would go out and practice sand pits. Um, like at nine o'clock at night, like not safe, not like the track's not lit just because I wanted to be better steepler than everybody else. And I was like, okay, well I don't have anything to do right now. I'm just going to go out and I'm going to practice on like work on this one thing of my water pit Mm -hmm. um, and try to get better at it. I mean, yeah. And when you're trying to like compete at the level that you are, it's such a like sort of like balancing on the edge of the knife. Like it doesn't surprise me at all what you said that oftentimes when people get injured, they're at their most fit. I'm not talking about like a beginner if you do too much too soon, right? But at your level, that makes a lot of sense to me because the only way to reach your actual potential is going to be if you've gone as far as you can up to that knife edge and not fallen off the other side. Exactly. And part of that is controllable and I think part of it's not like you just don't know what your body's capable of until you unfortunately push it too far yeah and it's always um I we talked about this so much last year with do everything 90 percent do everything 95 percent um because if you you can't do everything 100 percent all of the time um so if you just do everything 90 percent or 95 percent that's enough to keep you a little bit farther back from the edge, but you're still close enough where you can kind of peek over and be like, I 
like they don't want to go there but you have some room also for later on when there's two weeks left in the season or there's three weeks left where you can get a little closer to that edge because if you're already on that edge when that point comes where it's like we really need to like up the intensity and up um those kind of like really intense hard on your body stuff you have some more room to go over because if you hit that point you don't have any like see you later you're off the edge Mm -hmm. um so yeah do you have a race that stands out for you as most memorable or maybe a race that you're most proud of who most proud of uh most memorable (laughs) i would say probably would be u.s championships in 2013 13 um in des moines iowa it was really hot um and i remember stepping on the track and never having felt that hot in my life just stepping onto it and all of a sudden i could feel my core temperature rising even though i had an ice vest on but my feet were so hot and i just was like oh shit and in the race um two people like we were running running around the race was super physical um i got just totally pushed out of the way like stiff armed i'm coming through here which is not allowed you can't do that um but yeah stiff armed um there were people there were two women who were on the infield like had collapsed on the infield because it was so hot um going over the last water barrier i was it was myself and two other women going for the last spot in the final and came off that last barrier land or last water pit landed and couldn't get on my t- ball my foot anymore and i had partially torn three tendons in my foot <laughs> so i hobbled in put both hands on the barrier and like hopped myself over and like hobbled in um and then had to walk like a half mile back through under the stadium across a bridge back into the gym where the holding pen was with all our stuff um, and then going to the medical tent afterwards and seeing that those two other women packed in ice in tubs, just like that sounds horrible. It was crazy. It was just, it was insane. Um, so definitely most memorable. Yeah, man. I mean, for probably not amazing reasons. Um, Do you have a race that you feel like stands out as your like best performance, where you're like, that's the best that I've done in a race? Or, yeah, right. And. I, you know, that could be taken two ways. Not necessarily that the result was the best, although it could have been that, but where you felt like that was literally like my peak potential at this moment. Um, probably maybe the trials or not the trials, the Peyton Jordan in 2012. Um, I won my heat. I ran the, I had, I hadn't raced a steeple in, I'd raced one maybe a few weeks before, um, but that had been my first season of steepling in two years, um, maybe two and a half. Um, and I ended up PRing that season. My had gone in, my PR was 1025 and I ran 951. So I PR by 35 seconds almost. Um, and that was like I executed that race perfectly. I did exactly what I was supposed to. Um, I hung out at the back, kind of moved up, I kind of felt it out the first K, moved up the second K, and then just totally crushed it the last K. Um, 
so that one, it was kind of just like all the pieces fit and I qualified for the trials and I was just like, okay, this is awesome. On to the next thing. Like check that box off now. Like let's go run 945. Yeah. So I never, I didn't start running until I was an adult. I was like 26. So I obviously like didn't do track, didn't do cross country, didn't do any of that. Had never been to a track meet until I moved here and became friends with you guys. <laughs> and I remember the first meet that I went to was um, in Eugene at Hayward with Kate. She, I think was Kate injured at the time. I don't know. We drove over there together. Oh, and, and we Mel, I think Mel raced. Yeah. And Mel was racing and I remember sitting there and in the two of you, I think it was the two of you were explaining to me what the steeple is because I'm like, well, why are they jumping over water? What is this really weird event? And you were telling me the history of it. So in case anyone's listening and also does not know what the steeplechase is, can you yeah. like talk about it? Okay. So it's real weird. It's, it's by far the best event. I tell people about it because a lot of people don't know, even like I work at a running store here and people are like, Oh, what's the steeplechase? Um, so it's seven and a half laps. It's 3K, so just under two miles. Uh, for time purposes, um, whatever somebody can run for a steeple is roughly what they can run for a flat two mile. So that kind of puts it in perspective of like what kind of um, pace we're running. Um, then you have five barriers around the track. Um, they're probably about 80 meters apart. Um, they look like balance beams. Um the women's are 30 inches and the men are 36, so the men get a little higher. Um, and then they go across three lanes. There's a water pit on the top turn. On Generally, it's on the inside. Sometimes they're on the outside. And you hurdle all the barriers except for that one on the water pit. You generally step on the barrier and push off and try to clear the water. And the pit is 12 feet long on the other side. Um, so, I mean, I've seen people have fallen in the water. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've actually, when I was in college, I had a race where I came over the barrier and you can't see, there's usually plants or a sign there, which apparently is not allowed. Apparently like it has, you have to be able to see what's on the other side, but I've never run like a big meet where there haven't been like plants or something. You can't see what's happening. Um, I came over the water pit and there was this girl who'd fallen and it was either I was going to spike her in the back. So I was going to step on her or I just had to shove her back down in the water. So I came over and I just like put my hand down like on her head and shoved her back underwater. (laughs) Did you talk to her afterwards and be like, I was trying not to get my track spike in your back. I felt so bad afterwards. I was like, I'm so sorry, but I was going to spike you in the back. And I just figured like that was, she was soaking wet. She just looked so defeated. I'm sure that there's a picture of it somewhere. Like there has to be. Okay, someone do some good googling and send it in. Yeah, it was because what was it? It was at a regional meet in college for like. So that's the meet that you run to qualify for U.S. champion or for NCAA championships. But okay, but so why is there water? So like, was someone just like, hey, let's dump a bunch of water on the track? Like, it's so weird. Um, it has to do with. So it's also a horse race. That's what I basically made a horse race for people. Um, but if you look at like the old school pictures from like the 1930s and the 1940s when like only men were doing it at that point, they were only doing a lot of things, but, uh, they, it's a dirt track and there's just like a pit dug. And so it, like, basically you're running through the mud is essentially what it was like. Um, it's a little more sophisticated now. We have the nice Mondo or the nice like rubberized track on it, um, but yeah, it was a horse race they made for people. So given the fact that 
like you said, you're hurtling most of the barriers, but the one with the water, you're like stepping on with your foot and pushing mm-hmm. off. So is that sort of where it comes down to for you with how your foot heals, whether or not you can keep doing steeple? Yeah, because when you land also, so the pit is 12 feet long, but it also, it's really deep at the back. But then as it goes up toward the end of it, it kind of tapers out. So when you're landing, usually you're landing with one foot in the water. So it's on an incline. You're also jumping from almost three feet off the ground, um, and landing on one foot. Um, so yeah, it'll just be, can, uh, my screw take doing that? Mm-hmm. Um, cause it is, I mean, it's a pretty aggressive thing and you're doing it in basically no shoes. Like a spike is not a shoe. Yeah. So there's no padding. So if it turns out that you can't go back to the track or you can't go back to doing the steeple, mm-hmm. Do you feel at peace with that or do you still feel like you have like some kind of unfinished business? Um, I'll probably be really upset for a little while. Um, I do feel like I have a little unfinished business on the track. Which would Um, be what? Like what specifically are you like, I want to do X before I'm done? I've never made a final at a U.S. championship and I just feel like like for me to run in the 940s is not unrealistic. Like I don't think that that that's not like a reach goal of I want to make the Olympics or I want to even like me saying I want to make the world team like that's a reach goal that's probably not going to happen especially in the U.S. the steeple is so deep there's so many amazing women um but I don't think making a final at a U.S. championship is that like out of my realm at all um and I never I've never done it and it's always been I've been hurt or just like I've been the first person out or the second person out um so I probably like, if it doesn't work out that I can't go back to it, I'll probably be bummed for a bit. Um, but also I've had the past few months to like, I know that that is a possibility. It's not like that's all of a sudden going to be taken away from me without me being totally aware of it. Um, like I know that there's a chance that, that happens. Um, so I kind of am thinking of what are other ways that I can channel this unfulfilled goal or dream into something productive for yeah. myself. I think it's really refreshing to hear someone say, if that doesn't happen, I'm going to be really disappointed or that I'm going to be real. Like, I think that, I don't know. I mean, obviously we don't enjoy feeling, you know, quote, negative emotions, whatever those are. But like, if something doesn't happen the way that you want, or if there's been a dream that you've had for such a long time or Mm -hmm. whatever, and it doesn't happen, like there's a grieving process and that's okay. It doesn't have to be just like, what's the silver lining? Like move on to doing trail race. And you could have an awesome running career in a totally different setting. It's like a both and like those can both be true. Like there are other things. This isn't the complete end of the line with running. Mm -hmm. And also it's okay to be like freaking bummed. Right. And like, I don't know. I just like, I'm very grateful when people are willing to be like, this is the thing that I want. And if it doesn't happen, like, I'm going to be really upset and also I'll be okay. Yeah. Like it doesn't, yeah. Failing doesn't mean that like you're a bad person. It doesn't, like you said earlier, it just means that like you tried to do something and it didn't work out and like that sucks, but it's not, it's not the end of the line. You just kind of reframe and go, okay, like what's, what else can I do? Mm-hmm. Like I have all these tools and I have all these resources. How can I use what I have to like be successful. And like, um, people have brought up me to me before racing trails, um, or doing ultras or doing road things. And I've never, I've just kind of never like been that interested in it. I'm like, yeah, like trails are cool. And like Jess Barnard, who used to be on little wings, she's just like, you would fucking kill it on the trails. And I'm like, probably, but 
like, I don't know. It's just not something that I'm super interested in. Um, it's funny because when you said, when you mentioned ultras, like that pinged for me. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's because of the intense work ethic or something like, I'm like, oh, that makes total sense. Like you have this like very, in a great way, sort of like stoic, like you seem at least from the outside to mm-hmm. not be very like flappable. I don't know if that, is that even a word? Like where yeah. you're, you're just yeah. like, which is, it's, I, I find it fascinating and also I like want to put it under a microscope because it's the complete opposite of how I am. Like I'm like super intense and like all over the place and like there's no, you know exactly how I feel all the time. I like can't, like, which is sometimes good and sometimes not good. I know, I love that. And it's funny, we we always look at the people who are the opposite that I'm like, I would be the one in the ultra that's just like sobbing, like dying, like on the side of the thing, like can't handle it. And like I see you being like, just like so tough. I don't know, I... I will crew for you. Tell me when you're going to do okay. an ultra. <laughs> Sounds amazing. I'm going to have the most amazing crew. Oh my God, I please. like, it's yeah. going to be awesome. That's so funny. <laughs> Which also feels like so ridiculous that like, I'm out there like doing this one thing, but there's like, I'm going to have like 10 people, which is ridiculous. Like nobody needs that many people out but, there. I mean, people love you and want to support right? you. Right? So. Um, it seems like so self-absorbed to be like, come out and help me do this race. <laughs> I think similar things with long distance hiking. I get it. But also like people that love you want to be involved. So. Yeah. Um, so when you were in college, mm-hmm. um, cause you mentioned before not being, I don't know if you said fast enough or whatever to like get a contract, right? Like to, mm-hmm. to sign with someone to run professionally. I'm curious what you thought like being like a pro runner meant or would be versus what it actually is. Yeah. Um, being a pro runner. I think for some people that are the idea of it is that you run really fast and you get this big contract and you go all over the world and get into all these races and you kind of, there are quite a few people who they really want to travel and running is a means to do that. They love to run and they're really good at it and they get to travel to all these really awesome places. Um, and so, yeah, kind of the idea of is this that, you get a contract and someone pays you to run and to train and basically get paid to work out. Right. Um, versus what it actually is for some people. That's what it is. For some people it is, you get a contract, you get a stipend, you have an agent and they pay you and people call and get you to meets. Um, for me, that was not the case. Um, I, so I run for Wazelle and I got hooked up with them in 2012 um, right before the trials, I didn't have a sponsor. I didn't have a uniform to run in. I just was running in, like sometimes I'd run in my old college uniform. Sometimes I'd run in my old club team uniform. I mean, kind of whatever I have, tank top and like spandex, whatever, like put a bib number on it and call it good. Um, and so they sent me an email, which I actually ignored because I was like, this can't be real. Like, who's... <laughs> I was like, who's going to give me money in a uniform to race at the trials? Like, this isn't legit. So I ignored it. <laughs> and then my college coach sent me a text and he's like, dude, have you responded to Kristen's email yet? And I was like, what? What are you talking about? He goes, the Wazelle email from Kristen Metcalf. I was like, wait, how do you know about that email? And he was just like, oh my God. <laughs> so then I... I got clued in and figured it out. It's like, oh. That they actually do want you and it's not they a joke. They want to like yeah. put me in a, they're going to give me a uniform and give me some money and I'm going to like race in their uniform at the Olympic trials. Like, cool. Um, and so that's kind of how that started. And then 
now it's I'm on their Hope Volley, so I don't get paid. I don't get a stipend. I don't um, get that kind of stuff. I do have an incredible support system that helps me out with different aspects of my training. Um, some of my travel, because of the position that I have on the like within the Wazelle Volley and Ovalay, um, some of my travel is paid for. Um, and then. Um, what else? I get gear from them. That's int- I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this. I mean, people who yeah. listen to the show know that I'm obsessed with talking about money and like the truth about money. And because if even from the outside, even being a friend of yours, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Like I, I would assume, and I think a lot of people do too, like, oh, this person's a pro runner. That like means they get paid to run, yeah. right? Like that's the, and that there's, and of course, like you said, that's true for people have all different kinds of contracts, right? Some are performance-based, some are, they get the stipend you know, base stipend, no matter what, you know, it's all different types of things, Mm -hmm. but it's interesting just to hear like, what's the, what's true of the experience for you. Yeah. Like that's, and I mean, that's more than like I could have ever asked for too. Like just having your travel paid for and getting clothes to run in. Um, and also I have this amazing community of women and people who are really interested in what I'm doing and want to help me achieve these things, um, achieve goals that I've set out, regardless of whether I achieve them or not. They're willing to put forward a lot of time and energy and money to help me do these things mm-hmm, um, and mm-hmm. give me the best chance of making it happen. And if I achieve them, like they don't get anything out of it. Like they're not reaping. It's not like they're a coach of an NBA team and we win like the national championship and they're getting like a bonus from me like qualifying for us championships, you know, um, that there's like a lot of love doing it for a little bit. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, and which is fantastic and awesome. And also that doesn't pay your bills. So we yeah. just talk about what else you do. Um, I do a lot of things. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> um, I work at picky bars, um, doing, uh, as you, I kind of dabble in a, I basically do whatever needs to be done. Um, I'm doing a little bit of international sales. I do some product development. I help with operations. I basically, I'm the person, if you need to get something done, like I'll make sure that it gets done. Um, and then I also work at a running store in town foot zone. Um, I work there a couple, usually one day a week, a couple days a week, um, occasionally. Um, and then I babysit um, for a couple of different families who are awesome. I babysat three boys this last weekend who are just so great. They're so fun. Yeah. No, I love the the sort of real behind the scenes of how people make their life work when it comes to money, right? Yeah. Like, these are my three different jobs. This is how I do this thing, right? That there's, I think so much about... I don't know, like we all just want to know that we're okay or we like that we're doing things the right way, but there's so many different ways to do things. And it's just all I am ever grateful for is people being like, this is how I make this work. Yeah. And like, I don't like, I save a little bit, but it's not like I'm getting, I'm working so much that I have like a huge amount that I'm able to save. Mm -hmm. Not that I like, I don't live paycheck to paycheck, but there are like, I have a cell phone and car insurance and that kind of thing. Um, And luckily, like I'm tied in with, the family system. So like it kind of all comes out of the same thing, um, to make it a little bit easier, but, um, yeah, like I, there's not a lot of money coming in. Um, and you just, you kind of work within that framework. You're like, okay, this is what I have. Save what you can use the money that you need to, to do the right things. Um, like probably the thing that I spend the most money on is food actually. (laughs) 
like buying good food. Like mm-hmm. that's the thing that I'm like, if I'm going to spend my money on something, that's what it's going to be. Yeah. So. Well, this brings up an interesting question of like anytime someone's pursuing something that takes a lot of time and energy, there are always sacrifices, right? Like mm-hmm. that in order to put running at such a high level as a priority, what, so you just gave the example of like not having a, a job that lets you save a lot of money. Like what are some mm-hmm. things that you feel like you've either had to sacrifice or just like deprioritize? I don't mean sacrifice in this like agonizing way, but like yeah. what do you specifically or like intentionally not do so that you can do this thing? Um, yeah, the sacrificing word. So my coach before one of my coaches, he always was like a stickler about that word. And so I was with him for four years. Um, so it's kind of always stuck in my head that what I'm doing, I'm not making sacrifices. I'm making choices. So I'm making the choice to say yes to this so that, or I'm saying no to this so that I can say yes to like maybe this one thing. Um, I'm, I mean, probably the biggest thing is putting whatever I want to do with my life after I'm done having running be my priority. That's the biggest thing that I'm like putting on hold and being like, partially because I don't really know what I want to do. Maybe I want to go to PT school. Maybe I want to like get into product development. Like I have no idea. Um, so putting that on hold because it does take so much time and other resources that I want to put into this now. Um, and like there will come a point where I don't want to put the resources I'm putting into running in my daily life and I'll want to put them to something else. And that's kind of when, at what point your dream no longer serves your purpose and you put it to something else. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, with anything physical too, maybe not anything, but I know running, there is an age component to this, right? Oh, this yeah. isn't like, you're not going to necessarily be like 55 and like making the team, right? I'm like, whatever. Right, so I'm like, <laughs> the, but that does draw into focus that you have to make these choices now mm-hmm. because it's sort of, now or never. Yeah. It's always been, um, my parents were always like, if this is something you want to do, the other thing, like with the medical school, I had a few doctors tell me if there's anything else you want to do, do it now. Because once you like get into this, yeah, like later down the road, you could be like, I don't want to be a doctor anymore. But like you go to medical school, you do the internships, you do all that stuff. Like you're going to come out 10 years later and be like, nope not doing this. Um, so my parents were always very adamant, like if this is something you're passionate about and this is something you really want to do, like do it now because the lifespan is very short. And like in the track world, I've probably overgone my lifespan, but I'm coming to an end of that lifespan. Um, and there's going to come a time that I'm not going to be able to do it. And so if I can, and I have the resources and I have the support to do it now, like I might as well take full advantage of it because it's not there forever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so switch well, not really switching gears a little bit, but um, for you and Mel, your mm-hmm. sister, um, I have so many questions. Um, <laughs> so obviously, you're how many years older than her? Three, three. Mm-hmm. So you got into running first. Mm-hmm. Um, was it something that like you got into it and then she was like, oh, I should probably do this, like because you guys both run the same event? Like, what was sort of the trajectory of? you two getting into running? So I started running and then she was like, well, I'm going to run too because Collier does it, which initially as like a 13 year old, I was so annoyed about, I was like, this is bullshit. Maybe that's not what I said as a 13 year old, but (laughs) you're like, this is my thing. (laughs) This is my thing. And I never had a thing either. Like Mel had had dance. My brother had like done basketball or race go-karts and I'd never had a thing. Like I went to math camp 
because my mom made me or I went to sailing camp because my mom made me like it wasn't there was never anything that I was like I really want to do this thing um and so then Mel started doing it and I was just like what um and that took me a couple years to get over um especially because she's so I'm a really hard worker she also is a very hard worker but she also has more talent than I do so just her natural ability is better um like if we trained exactly the same way to the same things, like she's always going to be better than me. Um, and so, yeah, so I ran, she started running. Um, she was really good right off the bat. Um, and then I went to college and steepled and our high school coach was like, well, if your sister can steeple, you can steeple. And so she started steepling in high school. Um, and he would set up some of the craziest workouts for her. Like, put hurdles on hills and we do like she'd do uphill hurdle workouts like it was crazy he had no idea what he was doing but he just like made it fun and made it like entertaining and different and so we just kind of were like okay yeah this is like how you train for steeple whatever um and then kind of the same thing like she had a lot of people recruit her for college she was I can say hundred percent. She was the number one recruit. Like we talk about football and basketball, how there's like the number one recruit in the nation. She was definitely the number one recruit in the nation. Like everybody wanted her. Um, and so, yeah, kind of, she went to UW, um, and then was national champion there. And then she had a really rough bout of injuries for, she had seven, not seven years of being injured, but just like seven years of terrible running. That's, it's funny because you can just say that, but when you actually think about like how long a week is, how long a month is, how long a year is, seven years of like not running a PR, right? Or yeah. like not like... Not qualifying for, I mean, I think maybe she qualified for US championships, but for the level and like the talent and the ability that she has for her to make a US championship is like, well, obviously like, okay, like she could do it in her sleep. Knock on what I don't want her to get hurt or anything this year. She's doing awesome. Um, but yeah, seven years of just like terrible running and being injured and not being fit and coming back only to get injured again and not like, Oh, I pulled my hamstring, but like I have a stress fracture in my like lower leg. Oh, now I have a stress fracture in my femur. Now I have a stress fracture in the neck of my femur. Now I've like trashed my Achilles and like, it's not getting better and it's not getting better. Um, and just like little things like that, that like, it's not like, Oh, it'll be fine in a few weeks. It's like, this is going to take months to fix and months compile on months and compile on months that it just like turns into seven years of terrible. I mean, it's, if she's open to, of course, no pressure to her. If she wants to come on the podcast, she knows she's always welcome because I'm already I'm like, how do you not quit after seven years? But that's not your question that's, to answer. But I don't, ha- I don't so, have the answer. So but. my, okay, Mel, you're next. It's your turn. Um, I'm, I'm curious how, especially the fact that you do the same event mm-hmm. and that it's kind of an offbeat event, right? And that it's like, whatever, like how you feel like you've been able to really support each other and then also how you deal with comparison and jealousy. Because for you to say she's more talented than me or that she's going to run faster than me, that sounds like really emotionally evolved and stable, but I, I had have to imagine like that doesn't always feel good. Yeah. Or like to, during those seven years when you were doing well and she wasn't like, I don't know. Can you just speak to sort of your experience with that? Uh, so I think part of it also is that we have both never been healthy at the same time. Um, 
As far as running goes, you mean? As far as running, we've both, we've maybe overlapped a little bit, but when either one of us have been at the top of our game, the other one has not. Interesting. Um, which we contribute to the fact that maybe the universe just can't handle two Lawrences. Like, <laughs> just can't handle it. Um, so. Uh-oh, you're coming back from injury now. She better watch it. I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Did she so fit right now? Yeah, she's just killing it it's like watching her races i mean always watching mel race i will watch mel race any day over anybody she's my favorite person to watch but um initially like when we were younger um and it was mostly it wasn't even because she was better than me it was just that it was my thing and i never had had my own thing and i really wanted it um but we've always been really really close um and which I didn't think was unusual until like I started to see other sister relationships um, that not everybody has the same relationship I have with Mel. Um, like Mel, I can a hundred percent say is my best friend and she knows everything about me. We've been, I've known everything about her. I mean, I've known her her entire life. She's known me all of mine, except for the first three years, which like don't matter anyway, because our parents can fill that part in for us. Um, and, we've seen each other at like our lowest of lows and our highest of highs. And for whatever reason, maybe I think it attributes to a lot like our parents, the way they raised us, the way um, the coaches that we had, the people that we've had in our life, like we've been super privileged in that in so many ways, but especially in just the community that we've had, like raise us because yes, your parents raise you, but also your community raises you and your support systems raise you. And we've been really fortunate to be surrounded by amazing people that have been amazing examples of how you are as a human being. Um, and so we just really support each other. And like, I wish for her success just as much as I wish for my own. Um, not to say that like when we get in a race where we have both been like relatively similar, like we're still competitors and we're still com- we still compete with each other, but it's not a competition out of jealousy or need to be better than the other. We're both just trying to be the best version of ourselves. And whoever happens to be the best version of themselves on that day, like we could both be the best versions of ourselves on that day and like one of us is going to beat the other and that's just how it is. Like somebody's first, somebody's last. Like that's just what it is. Mm-hmm. Um and so I think just having that as sort of our foundation of our friendship is like, and we've, I mean, we spend hours and hours together. Like I see her every day. We run together every day. So I think just spending a lot of time with somebody that you truly love and truly care about unconditionally, like no matter the circumstance that just builds, it just builds on itself. It's Mm -hmm. like a, you can't stop it. It's like uncontrollable. In what way, I'm sure there's many ways, but like the, thing that comes to mind first, would you say that she's your teacher? Um, and being resilient, um, just because she had so long of being down and trying to make it work. Um, and just, I mean, even when it was like really bad when she broke her, she had a stress fracture neck of her femur, it still was like, yeah, okay. Like this sucks, but I'll come back from it and we'll figure it out and make it happen. You know? Um, she's just always like, she's gotten down and like everyone's had like the hard times, but she's always been able to just kind of exist through it and make it happen and come out the other side. And I can imagine like being witness to that 
in, cause it's one thing to like hear about someone doing that, like sure resilience, but like you said, you see each other every single day, like yeah. when you're, you know, both healthy running together every single day, like when you are actually in the like minute by minute of mm-hmm. someone else's life of watching them be resilient, yeah. that that must be incredibly powerful. Yeah. It like rubs off on you. And also it just becomes kind of like when you're in a situation every day, it just becomes, this is how it is. So it's almost like you don't know any different. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, which this is like so naive of me, but I'm like, this is how everybody acts, which I know isn't true, but that's my day-to-day example. So like, I don't know any different. That's just how it is. It says a lot for, I mean, you've mentioned over and over your particular support system and community and like some of that sure was a privilege, but I think a lot of it too, you set up on purpose that it's Mm -hmm. like the combination of that. It really does matter. It sounds so cliche, but who you surround yourself with and like that, if you're going to be spending so much time with people and they are resilient, like that you're then sort of like breathing that oxygen and being in that environment that of course, could you be resilient as like the only resilient person, a bunch of like with a bunch of people who aren't sure, but it's better to it's be, better you know, put yourself in the situation, like surround yourself with the people who are, who have those qualities. Yeah. yeah. And it also gives you the other component of it is that because we don't know any better, it also is like she's the person that I'm accountable to. So like you're saying how you email Kate and right. you're like, okay, like I wrote my eight thousand words or I didn't, yeah. or I wrote my ten thousand words. Mel's the person that's like, Mel knows if I didn't do core, or Mel knows if I didn't do my strides, you know? Um and not every day, like we there are days where we don't run together, but like she's the person that then when I'm like, I want to do all these things, she's like, okay, yeah, I want, you want to do all those things, but like, here's all the things that you didn't do. Right. Go to the gym. Should yeah. have done. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like real talk. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I did like, um, yeah, she just is, she's the person that I have to be accountable to. And having someone that knows what it takes. Yeah. Right. That like can call you out on things that maybe other people wouldn't even know to call you out on. Yeah. And vice versa. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, The last thing that I want to ask about you guys, I feel like at least publicly from whether it's like a social media or like an outward facing thing, Mm -hmm. uh, I think you're often seen as a unit. Do you think that's like fair to say? Not that you aren't separate also, but people think about you guys together. I also think that people don't necessarily know there's two of us so we get mixed up a lot okay okay that's funny (laughs) i was gonna say given that you're seen as unit a unit a lot and of course you have a lot of similarities but you're also so different yeah what's the way that you think like if i were to ask you like how are you the most different what stands out for you um most different i'm more of a science person than Mel. Um, I'm more interested in the data and how, not necessarily how things work, but just like, um, I guess, yeah, how things work and kind of breaking like little movements down and just the science-y, physics-y, biology components and stuff. Um, That's more my area of like being very interested in um and even like in our approach to running i we both are very good at like doing what we're told which i think is like a good thing to have but also there's a lot of times that i want to know why i'm doing something um or i like want the movement like totally broken down of like okay this and then this and then like you lift this way and you like certain things um or even like how workout plans and it's partially because like i did some coaching and i know a lot about just the body and exercise physiology in general 
but I'm much more interested in like, okay, when you do this type of workout, this is the effect that it has on your body, which isn't really like her not that interested in. Interesting. Yeah. So pivoting away from running, unless, is there anything else on your mind that you're like in the running related thing? I want to talk about this. No, no. Yeah. (laughs) We just covered a lot of things. We just covered a lot of things. Um, So when we were talking before recording, just Mm -hmm. about like things you want to talk about, I know that something that you're super passionate about is mental health, mental Mm -hmm. illness, like in that, everything in that zone, um, which of course is a huge topic and could be its own podcast. But um, since that's something that you wanted to talk about and something that I also (laughs) care deeply about and have personal experience with, I would love for you to share essentially whatever you, when you said that's something you want to talk about, whether it's your personal story or anything within that um, that you want to talk about. Um, so in the like mental health realm, I am particularly interested in suicide prevention, um, because my dad committed suicide almost four years ago. So still like, like a long enough time, but also like still a fairly new thing. Um, because I think that it is something that is, it's, it's super preventable. Like it's of all the things of the ways people die, like I would argue that's probably the most preventable thing. Like there's so many ways to like fix it. Um, and so just kind of like that realm of things I think is like super interesting. And I think that a lot of people like, not that I go around telling everybody that my dad committed suicide, but also I, there is this like taboo around suicide and being like, Oh, well, cause you tell people that and that don't know that the first time. And they're like, it's kind of always the same reaction of like, oh, it just kind of gets like very quiet and very dead. And they, people just like don't really know what to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of that is that it's such like a, it's such like a terrible thing. And that a lot of people fortunately don't have that much experience with. Um, so they don't really know how to react to it. Where it's like, if somebody passes away of cancer, it's like, oh, well, you know, like, there's much broader area of like condolences or like being able to relate to that person. Whereas if you have somebody who dies by suicide, like the people who are immediate to that person, like you don't know how to tell them anything. Cause it's like, Holy shit. Like that's a terrible, terrible thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I didn't realize that it was that recent. Yeah. I knew that that was, you know, part of your family story. We obviously haven't really talked about it in, in depth, um, but I thought you were a lot younger. Mm-mm. Yeah, wow. it was pretty, yeah, I mean, pretty recently because I'm 31. So like only an eighth of my life has been without my dad. Yeah. Um, and like it, like there's still like so many things about it that are like some, like there have been people in my life that they've had parents pass away. And I think the big thing is that, parents are supposed to pass away before their children. So I'm very lucky in the fact that like, that is true. Um, that it wasn't like a sibling or a child. Yeah. Or, or a child, child or something, you know? Cause I think that that is significantly harder. Like if it was like my own kid or, um, my sibling or my spouse, you know, like my mom has like still like, it's very, very difficult for her. Um, that it's, yeah, it's just something that I think is, people just don't know how to talk about it and don't know. I mean, it's definitely not something you go and like shout from the rooftops, but I think that in an effort to make it less of a thing, people have to talk about it and they have to talk about like, 
yeah, like you're not okay. Or like being like, okay to ask, like, are you okay? But also that person who's being asked that they have to feel comfortable enough to say like, no, I'm not like, I need help. Um, but the only way to do that is to talk about it and be like, it's okay if you're not okay. Like that's Mm -hmm. fine, Mm -hmm. but you have to be willing to do that. And I think so many people, especially in an older generation are not okay with talking about how they're feeling because they've been taught not to. Um, well, and I think, I mean, there's so much in the stigma that I agree with, especially with younger folks, I think is changing or at least starting to change, or maybe I'm just surrounding myself with people that are really open about their like experiences with mental illness. Right. That, but I think about even for me with my experience that everything we're saying, like I value those things. And yet Mm -hmm. still when you're going through it or when you're in like a deep depression, it's sometimes can still have this feeling of. I did something wrong or this is my fault or I shouldn't like that it's, and yet if I, like if I broke my leg, I would go get it fixed. Right. right? And so like mental illness is the same thing as like a physical illness. I mean, it's not the same, but you know what I mean? It's like the same. And yet it's where the hesitancy to treat it the same way is, you know, like, like to your point that when you share that with people that they don't know what to say. And I think that comes a lot from the culture of, we just never talk about it. Yeah. I think, like on that too is that like I use this as an example and like cancer is a terrible thing and I'm sure like at this point in my life I haven't actually that's not true uh well I haven't had anybody pass away in my life that was very close to me from cancer um I've had people that I know that have had cancer and that kind of thing but um when somebody passed away from cancer everybody is like oh they were they like tried so hard and they were so brave and they um like they suffered so much and they just like held on for so long but when someone commits suicide a lot of times the thing is oh like they're selfish or oh they gave up and it's like actually they just got to a point where the effort of that i mean when we're like we're all living our daily lives and we're getting older every minute and there comes a point where like it's hard to continue living whatever that reason is for and so when someone commits suicide it's because they've gotten to a point where it's too hard for them to continue living um and but you don't ever hear people say oh they like they suffered so much or they tried so hard to like stay alive because they actually like really did. And a lot of times it's gone on for so long and they've suffered for so long and tried so hard for so long that really when someone does that, they've just reached a point where they physically cannot do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Like it, their body mm-hmm. will not let them do it anymore. Yeah. So. And it's like looking at the cultural narrative we have around, not like who gets to be sick, but like when you were saying about you know, someone passes away after this like really valiant, you know, like yeah. fight against cancer, that there's some sort of like hero's journey type of thing in that. And it's like, we can have like our positive emotions and the things that we say to the person who's grieving is like, well, at least that, you know, there's like a whole yeah. bunch of not silver linings. I'm not being very articulate, but I think you know what no. I'm saying. Yeah. And we, because suicide isn't viewed in the same way, because mental illness often isn't viewed in the same way mm-hmm. that like, we don't have even the language necessarily to understand it and then to talk about it and to like be there for the person who's going through grief. That's just as intense, maybe different, you know, as someone who's lost someone through something else. Yeah. And it's very different too, because I think that, uh, for the people that remain after someone commits suicide and it like varies where you have like your immediate family or the like circle, it kind of, I think goes out in circles where there's the person who committed suicide and then there's like 
the next circle out of like their immediate family members or their best friends or the people that are really, really close in their lives and in it every day. And there's people from the outside that are trying to comfort them, but like they don't really know what to do. And I had like, I have some really amazing people in my life that were very helpful, but for the most part, most of the people in my life, I was really grateful for this. They helped my, like my sister and my brother and my mom a lot more. Whereas I was a little more on my own just because people didn't really know how to react to like, okay, well shit. But I also went more into, we still have to get shit done. Like you want the world to stop turning and it's kind of like a really ugly slap in the face when it doesn't like I still have to get up and I still have to go to work and I have to open the running store and I have to go to the restaurant and do these things. And, um, that makes it, if you like that immediate system, if the next like circle out can't really help you, that makes it like increasingly difficult because then you just have to continue with your daily life. Um, there also comes a point where like, and this is true when anybody passes away that initially people are everyone's very like in it and like wants to help you but there comes a point where it's like okay aren't you like done grieving yet and it's like you're never like there's been people in my life that have had parents pass away and I've kind of sugarcoated it and been like you know it gets easier um but it doesn't get easier it just gets more tolerable you Mm -hmm. just kind of adjust to life without that person anymore um and so in a way it gets easier but easy wouldn't be the like adjective i'd use to describe it um and so it just kind of yeah the people who support you like you can't be supported forever um and so eventually and it always happens sooner than you want it to and sooner than you need it to but people kind of get sick of being like how are you doing are you okay do you need anything Um, And you also get sick of people asking you that too. Like you get sick of being like, I'm having a really hard day today or I'm like really tired or like I'm really sad or be really great if you could like come over and watch a movie, you know, like you get sick of like having people constantly ask you how you're doing. Mm -hmm. So you kind of are like, yeah, everything's great. Um, But yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's really honest. I think, I mean, so much of this we like want to have answers for, and there are no answers, right? Like there's no, you know, but I think that just the, your willingness to be honest about your experience of grief, right? Like this thing that you went through, because I think so often, like what you described of, you know, people don't know what to say, or they Mm -hmm. want to help and they don't know how. I think oftentimes the fear of doing or saying the wrong thing makes Mm -hmm. people stay quiet, whether that's comforting someone who's grieving, whether that's you think someone is maybe depressed or is having a hard time and you don't really know the right way to reach out and you don't want to like ruffle feathers so you don't say anything. It's like Mm -hmm. something that I think about a lot is I have to be willing to like look like an idiot or make mistakes or say the wrong thing or like ask someone if they need help. Like, and it might not always be articulated the right way and it might not be well received, but I'm sort of curious on your thoughts about that of like, what you've learned about how to be there for other people, even when you don't know what to say or do. Do you get what I'm asking? Yeah. Yeah. So actually leading, and I mean, not leading up to, I guess leading up to, um, my, at the time my dad was living with me, he was working on, um, a couple properties that we had in Reno. So he's living with me, um, working on those. Um, and, like I kind of noticed that something was a little bit off, but like my dad, my dad and I are pretty similar. We're we're like, we're pretty stoic. We're just like, 
pretty like calm, reserved people. Um, but like I could tell that something was off. Um, and I just thought that like he missed my mom and that he was working too hard and he wasn't sleeping very well. Um, and I would ask him on a fairly regular basis, like, are you okay? And at first it was, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm tired. Um, and then it would kind of progress to not really or not hardly, but like I didn't have the tools or like the information to be like, okay, well, like, let's talk more about it. Let's get into it. Cause like, I don't know. Like and there's I'm, also the power dynamic of a, like of a, a child parent yeah. relationship of like, they say they're fine. So you just assume that they're your caretaker, even as an adult. Yeah. 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 That it's like, I'm like, okay, well you seem like, you seem kind of sad, but like, okay, it's, you know, whatever. Um, and so I think, and then like going back in retrospect that like after it happens, then it's like, holy shit. Like you look back and like, I mean, you can Google like what, if somebody's like contemplating suicide or is suicidal, like here are the warning signs. And like, I probably did that within like the first like 48 hours. And I was like, well, just like mark them all off the list. Like, here we go. You like, I could mark off almost every single one, um, which adds a whole other dynamic to it because like, I'm the one who's living with my dad when it happens. And so then it's like, well, fuck, like I should have been the one that was like, something's wrong. Something's not right. You know? Um, so being aware of like, I'm much more cognizant of when people are not okay. Like I'm a little more on tune with how people seem compared to like their normal regular self. Um, and then also I'm not as, I'm not as, I'm not wouldn't necessarily say I'm blunt, but like, if I think that somebody is not doing okay or they're having a hard time, even if like, it's not close to like them, like being suicidal or anything like that, they're just like sad. I ask people a lot more how they're doing and not as like, Hey, how's it going? Like, Oh, good. How are oh, you? Like, right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like it's look at the sun. It's up today or like it's cloudy or whatever. Like asking about the weather. Like when I ask people how they're doing, I generally ask because I want to know how they're doing. Um, and so I'm much more aware of that and just kind of being aware of how people are acting like day to day. Um, because I think that it is, you kind of, it seems like those, the people that get to that point of wanting to commit suicide get to this point of they're so shut off and they're so just like not in it that if you are just persistent enough and you just ask, like maybe they're not going to tell you because they also have to tell you that they're not okay when you ask. But even just, I think the asking kind of gives like somebody cares because you'd get to a point where it's like, nobody gives a shit. Nobody cares. Like I'm by myself and it just kind of is like a black hole that continues to suck you down. Um, or even the other really big thing that I look for. And like, obviously like I'm not a counselor. I'm not like any of those things, but, um, I'm also really aware when people talk a lot about how they don't sleep really well. Um, because a huge thing before somebody like eventually commits suicide is they have, like a significant amount of sleep issues. Like they're not sleeping. Um, and that changes your brain chemistry and changes like how you think and how you operate. Um, and so I kind of keep tabs on that when people are like, Oh, I didn't, I haven't slept very well. And they also seem a little out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, just cause that's like, that's one of the huge things. Like every single, they're all a little bit different, but that's the one thing that everybody has in common is that they go through significant time periods without sleep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, I think I also hear in what you're saying, just to like continuing to ask people if they're okay, like there's something to be said 
whether it, you know, someone reaches the point of you having suicidal thoughts or not, or, you know, if it's, I don't want to say a lower grade, it's not like on a spectrum, but you know what I mean? In general, I think there's something really powerful about like making it known that you are a safe place. Yeah. That like, it's okay to not be okay. The answer doesn't have to be that I'm fine. Right. That Mm -hmm. like, I don't know. So often I feel like we just, even with people that we're really close with that we don't, I don't know if it's that we don't want to seem weak or Mm -hmm. that, it's, we don't want to be a burden or like, I think about myself in terms of like periods of depression, like the burden thing comes up a lot, right. That yeah. it's like, it would be so great if someone would just like come over and watch a movie, like you said, right. Or do mm-hmm. like, I think, uh, I haven't gone through that kind of grief, but from descriptions that I've heard, it can be similar to like yeah. some of the symptoms of depression, right. That it's not just like having company or having someone there, but it's like, Oh, I'm going to ask for this. And then I'm going to be a burden. And logically now from my like mentally well placed today, yeah. I don't believe any of those things. Yeah. Right. But so there is something like I could pick out in my head, the friends that like I I know that I could just be bluntly like honest with it. I don't have to perform for them. Mm -hmm. Right. That like, it's okay. And I think there's something about making sure that the people you love know that you're that person. Like you don't have to be fine. Like you can come over here and like cry and lie on the floor. And like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like there is something in that, I think. Yeah. And it's, I mean, and like the sad thing is, is that not everybody has that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's hard to have that person or people Um, but there's also like, like the people that don't have that, I think that there's so many resources that are untapped that they could get that kind of help, you know, um, whether there's like so many different, I don't know, there's so many different organizations that help with those kind of things, Mm -hmm. but like you have to be able to seek them out and you have to be able to find it. Um, and I think the other thing is that like after the fact too, it's with the being a burden is, I was super thankful for all the people that came over to my house after like my dad passed away. But also there's this weird element of like, they're coming over. And so you feel like you need to entertain them when really it's just like, I don't want to talk to you. Like, I just want to sit here and like watch friends. I don't know, like Mm -hmm. anything or Mm -hmm. even just like sit here and stare at the ceiling and listen to music. Um, And so it's hard because it's like, you don't want to you don't want to have to entertain people, but like you also need people. And so it's like this big trade off of like, and I mean those, they don't expect you to entertain them, but like also you feel like you need to, cause they're coming over to your house and you're just like sitting on the couch. You're like, so like, tell me about your day. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, all of this, obviously this is such a huge topic and I'm so grateful that you're willing to be honest about, you know, your personal experience. Cause of course, like all that we can do is like talk about what's happened to us. Right. Yeah. And like what we've been through, but I think there's so much power even in that. Right. Like mm-hmm. you're not here being like, here's the top three things you have to, what, that it's, yeah. this is what happened to me and that people can either relate or not relate, but there's like mm-hmm. something, these are the kind of conversations I feel like that take away part of the stigma. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Cause it's like, I mean, even now, like four years later, like I'll tell people, um, and it like, again, not something that like I publicly advertise, but like people in my life know that like my dad passed away. Most people don't really know how, but sometimes it comes up and I'm like, oh yeah, well this is like what happened. Um, and it's so crazy because the reaction is always the same. Um, but it does like, after really talk about it for a little bit, people are like, okay. Like they have like a better understanding. Like there's been people that have been like, I've had, I like had no idea that like, those are like the things that happen, you know? Um, and it just has to be, 
they're kind of like, then they'll like share stories of not it's, I've never had somebody tell me like the same, they've had the same like thing that I've had happen to me, but of having friends who are like a lot of depression and they're like, Oh, well like maybe I should check in on them or like make sure they're okay. Um, Mm -hmm. or like being like, Oh yeah. Like I've been through a similar thing where like my uncle was really depressed or like lots of different things like that. So, um, yeah, I think just like talking about, I mean, mental health in general, I think has like huge stigma around it, but especially suicide because it's such a, like, it's such a terrible thing that like somebody does to themselves, you know, like to be at that point of despair that like, that's your only out. Like that is a terrible place for somebody to be. And like, there's other, like obviously super terrible situations, but to me, like, that's like the lowest of low points Mm -hmm. that if that's the point you're at. So that there's just like a total hopelessness of like what you're doing. So as sort of a last thing on this, what would you say either to someone who might be struggling themselves or Mm -hmm. who's worried about a loved one? That it's okay to not be okay. Um, And like, and I feel like that's becoming such a cliche thing to say, but if you think that like you're suspicious that somebody's struggling, even if they're not at the point of suicide, just reaching out to them and being like, Hey, are you okay? Like, actually, are you really okay? Um, cause even if they don't tell you, at least that's kind of signal to them that like you are a safe space and you can come and be like, you can be that burden, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm more than happy to like sit and have you like dump on me of like, these are all the terrible things. Um, or like if you're the one struggling, if that person reaches out to you, let them help you. I think that it's so often we don't want to ask for help. Um, we think that we can do it by ourselves. Um, and really you can't like everything takes a village. You can't do things alone, especially things like this. Like it's hard to do it by yourself. Um, and also like if you don't have somebody, like there's so many amazing resources that you can go to. The one that I always kind of go after is to write love on our arms. They do, they kind of collect the resources um, and kind of cultivate them in one place so that it's easy to access because I mean, there's so many different ways to access it that it's kind of overwhelming. You don't know where to go, but they have seemed, it seems like they do an amazing job of collecting resources. It's definitely geared more towards like a youth demographic, but I mean, the resources are still the same, whether you're 12 or like 72, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes for sure. And yeah, on that point, even if you know, whatever that resource isn't geared to you, a first step is a first step. Like Mm -hmm. they will, you don't have to know the whole treatment plan or the whole everything, right. That it's asking someone for help Mm -hmm. and go from there. Yeah, I, I love just that. like that initial, you have to get that initial thing out of the way because like you could do nothing and doing nothing is worse than doing something. Mm-hmm. And like there's going to be a lot of awkward conversations, but if that like keeps somebody alive or like makes somebody happy, you know, um, or better somebody's situation, like even if they're not going to be like happy right away, just bettering someone's situation and the price is a really awkward conversation fine yeah, like be willing to have an awkward conversation be willing to be wrong be willing if you're like that person yeah. to like potentially be an alarm not an alarmist but like yeah that's a great case scenario if you're wrong right if you think yeah. something's going on with someone and it's not it's better than the alternative yeah. yeah it's i will tell you from experience i would have much rather to have 
an extremely awkward, probably like few months than get a phone call that my dad's dead, you know, like so much better. Yeah. So mm-hmm. before we start to wrap up, is there anything else about that that you wanted to share? Talk about? No. Thank you for You're being welcome. honest. Yeah. Um, so the way that we, this will be like an abrupt change of tone. <laughs> and, um, and bring out the confetti. And scene, right? But I mean, actually, sidebar, this is like an interesting microcosm of what we were just talking about is like, mm-hmm. there's no easy way to have these conversations, no. right? There's no like, let's tie this up in a bow and then everything's, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's like, that was like beautifully honest, necessary story, like story sharing. People heard people, deep breath. Okay. You okay. know, like that there's no, like yeah. even this, like this is going to be an awkward transition. Like now I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions <laughs> that are like kind of light and bullshit. You know what I mean? Like that it's, yeah. and also that's real life. Yeah. So, okay. Have the conversation, have the awkward conversation and then be like, okay, let's go get pizza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can definitely get pizza after this if you want. Um, so the way that we end these episodes are with some rapid fire questions. So right. basically all eight guests of this season are answering the same seven questions. Oh, if you're okay. down to answer some questions. All right, I'm ready. <laughs> that have nothing to do with pizza or any of the things we just talked about. <laughs> okay. Um, if you had a completely free afternoon next week all to yourself, how would you most love to spend it? Like, what's your perfect afternoon? Right now, uh, I would go up and go cross-country skiing. have a bachelor. Got some hot laps in in the Nordic Center. Yeah, I still haven't done that. One of these days, I'll we gotta go. We gotta go. I know. Um, what feels most important to you this year? Um, getting my foot healthy. Um, that's been. I mean, it's, I was in a cast and on crutches and on a boot, and now it's just kind of that's my number one thing. Is I want to get it healthy and kind of get back onto whatever track I'm going to be. Get move out done. of recovery mode yeah get yeah. out of recovery mode so in bend in our town that we live um so great if you so, guys haven't been here well that plays visit. into this question um <laughs> what's one place in your town or our town that you would really recommend that people check out if they ever travel here whether it's a favorite restaurant coffee shop bookstore park trail something if someone's coming oh to bend God. and is like collier what should i do it could be a couple things but oh, i mean i could like rapid fire answers right. <laughs> right let me tell you how to plan your whole trip to bend yeah. all right here you're gonna go you're gonna come into bend you're gonna go to sparrow bakery and you're gonna get an ocean roll you could also save that for the end it's a good like little last thing then you're gonna go and you're gonna get coffee at palette then you're gonna go to shevlin park and you're gonna go for a run or a walk and enjoy your coffee then for dinner you're either gonna go to spork or jackson's corner <laughs> So you're going to eat a lot and you're going to eat a lot outside. Yeah. Yeah. And then the next day you're going to like have a good sleep. Um, the next day you're going to go, depending what time of year you come, we'll say fall falls the best. Uh, you're going to go to the upper river trail and go for a run or hike along that to Benham falls and Dillon falls. Um, and then maybe like if you're feeling really adventurous, going up to bachelor and do like green lakes or soda Creek trail run, um, rent a mountain bike and go mountain biking. Um, no shortage of outdoors yeah. in Bend. Basically, <laughs> if you're coming to Bend, let me know and I will give you an itinerary. <laughs> uh, visitbend.com should hire you to like plan there. There's also, if you come to Bend, Visit Bend has like an entire place downtown with everything you could possibly need. Yeah, but a personalized so, call your itinerary yeah. is way better. Um, what's something that's working really well in your life right now that feels like it's easy and vibrant and flowing? Not your foot, obviously. (laughs) 
Um, my God, working really well in my life. It's like everything is like there's a million different things going on. So I've like the Jenga puzzle piece of my life is working really well right now. All the pieces are not moving perfectly, but they're all moving, and I'm able to like keep the tower erect and continue to build upward. Okay. <laughs> so like the it's like the balancing act is working well. Yeah, the balancing act is working well. There's a lot of things that are balancing and moving, but like it's generally an upward projection. Yeah, I would also describe it. you as that as someone who can like in a sane way balance like seemingly like contradictory or different things. Yeah. Yeah. Skill set. Um what's one decision in your past that had you chosen differently, you feel like would have led you down an entirely different path in your life? Like do you see sort of a fork in the road? Yeah, I think deciding to move to Bend. Um it actually coincided with uh the year that my dad died. So it was kind of a I'd reached a point in Reno where had I continued living in Reno, my life would be very different than it is now. Um, I probably would own a running store. Um, and I probably would not be running anymore or I would be doing it more casually and more fun. Um, so yeah. And I wouldn't like have all these amazing friends here. I mean, stop and it. I wouldn't have soup night. And I wouldn't have soup <laughs> night. You wouldn't have soup Selfishly, night. Selfishly, I'm really glad None you're of us in would have soup night. I mean, you know this. I've told you guys this before. I moved here because of y'all's Instagram. Like, I had never heard of Bend ever. Oh, and because yeah, I, I used to that. be, when Wazel's volley team was really small and different, mm-hmm. right? Like, I ran for them then. Yeah. And so I followed, you know, you and Mel and Kate and Lauren and whatever on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of Bend. And people have helped me tell this. And you're like, we're going to visit. And we're going to buy a house. I mean, we were literally here less than 24 (laughs) hours and we bought a house. And I was like, I don't know a single person here. I have no friends. I've never been here in my life. I called my mom, you know, we're moving to Bend. She goes, what? What? Where are you? What are you? What? South Bend, Indiana? Even that she wouldn't have heard of. I grew up in Manhattan, right? Like my mom's like, what's a Bend? What are you doing? Um, So yeah, it's your guys' Instagram. It's all your fault. Um, Yeah. I mean, we're happy to have you. I'm so glad that you moved here for so many reasons. Um, the next question is about books, which two to three books of like any kind of book, any genre, would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that you recommend or reread most often? Uh, Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Uh, my coach gave that to me in college. He had a habit of giving books out to people. Um, that was like his thing that he did. Um, so that one for sure. Um, and then I'm on a really big... Michael Chabon kick right now. Um, it also takes me a really long time to read books because I'm usually working on like three at a time, but I'm reading the Yiddish Policeman's Union right now. Um, that's pretty good. Um, he's very descriptive, so just a warning. There's a lot of not rambling, but it's very descriptive. So okay. it can be a little hard to read sometimes. Noted. You like, have to reread things. You're like, ah. I love it. Um, the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners, with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take? Um, love the people in your life and make sure that they know how much you love them and how much you care about them and how important they are to you. Mm, I love that. What's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have like a favorite way to connect with new people? Uh, I like Twitter a lot. Um, and Instagram. Um, I've been really bad at social media the past few months just cause like I'm in the pool all the time. So like <laughs> my phone's not waterproof. 
Um, um, I'll put links in the show notes, but what's your Twitter? What's your uh, Instagram? C Lawrence 27 for both of them. So why yeah. the 27? Uh, the 27 was my number in college. Oh, so like we okay. all had, it was like, I was red 27, like the women's track team, our color was red. And then like the men's was, they were green. The football team was crimson. So red 27. There you go. Look so, at all these things I learned about you. Thank yeah. you so much. This You're was welcome. awesome. Thanks for having me. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. Adam created the music for the show and he makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could on my own. You can find him and his music and his sound editing work at adamday.net. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is now a 100% listener supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Monique. Hi, Monique. Hi, Nicole. You ready to answer some random questions? Tell me all of your secrets. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, I am. Okay. My favorite question, as always, what are you totally obsessed with right now? (laughs) Um, At any given time, I have like 400 obsessions, which is probably one of my biggest problems in life because I have too many obsessions and not enough time to like really live out all of them. So what are my current obsessions? Um, I recently was like, you know what, I'm just going to do stuff that's totally random that has nothing at all to do with what I do for work, nothing at all to do with my 900 fitness activities. I just want to do something random and fun that doesn't have any obligation to it at all, just to like give myself a little bit of, I don't know, something interesting to do that's not going to stress me out. So I started doing two things. Um, (laughs) Number one, because I've been watching so much Great British Bake Off, I bought Paul Hollywood's bread books and I've been baking bread every week. Yes. Um, which is really hard. Um, but also really fucking rewarding when you get it right because after like five hours of work it's either gonna be awesome or it's gonna suck. But then when you do it right it's just so satisfying. Like a math problem satisfying, but you get to eat it at the end, right? Um and then thing number two, I randomly bought myself a guitar as like a Christmas present to myself because why the hell not? So I've been plunking out some really ridiculous um, like children's songs on guitar, just trying to learn it so that I can have my own concerts in my own home with my cats. I love that. Not that there's ever like a good or a bad answer to this question, but it always makes me so delighted when people are talking about stuff that they're doing. That's just like legit random. I feel like it's so there's such a culture around like monetizing everything and like everything has to be a side hustle. Like you can just do shit for fun. And I don't know. I also am obsessed with Great British Bake Off, like no question. Um, As you should be. As I mean, yeah, I've seen every single episode, many of them multiple times and have developed like and like a real legit crush on Paul Hollywood. Like, I, Stop, like me too. No, I feel like, like almost strong. embarrassed for admitting it, but like, come on now. Yeah. Those eyes. Just <laughs> in his whole, have you seen um, Paul Hollywood city bakes? <laughs> I have not. Oh my God. Okay. You're going to be my listen, new favorite thing. Listen. Now. Okay. Fix your life. Um, <laughs> so it's called Paul Hollywood city bakes. Basically oh it's God. this show where he like travels to different cities around the world and sort of like checks out their baking culture. But it's, it's, oh it's so delightful because he's like kind of a hard ass on the show. Right. He's oh, like, yeah, yeah all these places he's never really traveled anywhere. So you can tell he's like the most grateful, the most (laughs) delighted. It's (laughs) that was really when I was like, Oh, I'm like sexually attracted to this man. Yeah. Please watch it. And then (laughs) please call me and we can discuss. Oh my God. I'm absolutely going to do that. I love. So you've seen the masterclasses after the, uh, 
after the season. Please, where, I've like, seen Pete literally every, every yeah, I've course. seen every okay. masterclass, well, so every holiday like, episode. Do it, so. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just find the masterclass is so adorable with the two of them cooking together, and it's just like warms my heart. Yeah. I watched like four of them on an airplane on the way back to DC from, yeah, uh, yeah I don't even know. So I love good. it. Um, okay. I need to segue us away because we're going to talk about this okay. for the rest of our lives, which <laughs> listen, I'm here for, but I don't think everyone else is here for that. Um, tell me one thing that you've been seriously kicking ass at so far in 2018. In 2018, I have been kicking ass at, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to call it and I'm going to say running. And I, this is with the caveat that I'm not a very good runner and I hated it when I was a little kid, like hated it in school, hated it outside of school. It was awful. And like the worst thing in the world. Um, and I did like every other fitnessy thing you could possibly imagine, um, including, you know, five years of a martial art, all this stuff. But like very recently I started doing it somewhat seriously, um, like seriously enough that I even hired a coach last year. Um, and I am still, I still consider myself a noob. I am still the slowest person person at every single group workout, which I'm doing later on tonight. It's going to be a joke. Um, but I get out there every single time and I do it. And I feel really proud of myself that I get out there and I do this thing that I hate and that I'm not good at. And it's hard, but I've been consistent and I like that about myself. Yeah, I love that. Also, as someone who used to hate running and like literally could not run for two minutes and was also the slowest person at everything, yeah. like event, like it doesn't get easy, but it gets easier. Like it's eventually yeah. it won't be this. And also th- it's interesting that what you said about being the slowest person there. I mean, obviously it's sometimes can be like disheartening if the gap is huge in ability, but I've been thinking recently about like the, the benefit of being for lack of a better phrase, like the dumbest one in the room, right. That it's like, you mm-hmm. really do yeah. grow pretty quick if you're surrounded by people where you're like, let me just like shut up and listen to these people. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Like I, it's, you know, not a piece of humble pie. It's like the a Costco size humble pie every time I go to one of these things. So. <laughs> um, so speaking of pie or food, what's your favorite thing to eat for breakfast lately? Favorite thing to eat for breakfast lately. Um, I love oatmeal. I just got to go with oatmeal. Tried yeah. and true. Solid choice. With some bananas in it because bananas are the world's greatest food. And um, I don't know. I just, I just like it. Who do you need to write a thank you note to this week? If you had to write one thank you note this week, who should it be for? <laughs> um, every single one of my friends for dealing with me. Um, I, <laughs> That's an intense <laughs> answer. I don't know. No, my So, you know, I'm laughing a lot right now. My boyfriend and I broke up a week ago on Friday. Um, and so every single person in my life has had to deal with me, deal with that for the last seven days. And it's been really nice. And you know what? I'm going to call my boss. I'm going to call my boss out for this one um, because I was like, look, and you know, so as an aside, anytime I'm about to like drop some truth on someone, I say, all right, real talk radio. <laughs> it's certainly a true thing. Um, that's a, that's a true story. That's what I do. So uh, I was like, look, this is what I'm dealing with right now. I'm a, you know, an emotional nutcase, but I'm going to get this stuff done for you. And I'm going to make sure that nobody is blocked on anything. And he was like, oh my God. I'm so sorry. Whatever you need, you can take a day off if you want to. You can take three days off if you want to. I'm here for you. I got your back. It's going to be fine. And like, he didn't have to do that. So that was super nice. Um, and I definitely appreciated that. Yeah, I love it. Last question. What's the one thing that you wish people were more open and honest about? Um, sex and just body stuff in general, for sure. What's um, anything specific? I just feel like people 
these days, I don't know, as humans, as a collective, as we get more intelligent, as we get more technologically advanced, as we start to, you know, transcend this thing of body and nature, we almost like apologetic for our bodies and our naturalness, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's just like this taboo that comes along with some of these things like nobody wants to talk about weird medical stuff like nobody wants to talk about sexual urges like nobody wants to talk about any of this stuff that's like at the end of the day you know you're dying you're not going to have your your iphone with you but you will have your body there there's just like people are ignoring their bodies or they're separating themselves from their bodies in this like weird level and i don't know yeah, no, I, I, I completely understand. All the time, to, and then I feel really awkward about it when people are like, oh, I don't know, like, should we be talking about that? Yes, Whatever. always. Well, you're in the right space. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're a member of our Patreon community, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making the podcast possible, since you've made a small and powerful reoccurring pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show each season. And I would love for you to share why you decided to support the show and join the community. Absolutely. Um, I think that, number one, I appreciate the hell out of the honesty. Um, It's just super nice to hear. Number two, you have some really super insightful people on here that I feel like every time I listen to one of these shows, I'm like, God, I just want to fix everything about my life. And this person has given me four different ways to do that. Um, And thing number three, when I started seriously getting into running and I was training for this half marathon and I was doing these super long, you know, Saturday long runs, it's like two hours is a really long time to be running and um, it's boring. And ironically, your podcast lasts for two hours. And it was this like perfect nugget of truth telling awesome sauce that I could just listen to and keep me interested in um, so that I actually got out there and, and did it. And that was actually super helpful in my training. I love that. I love when people tell me like where they listen to the show because then I'm like, oh, I went on your oh, run yeah. with you. So fun. <laughs> you do. Constantly. You're, you're so always funny. running with me. Um, so to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want over 40 hours of bonus content, plus lots of other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. I honestly can't tell you how much your support means to me, and it'll be so much fun to get to know you better after you've joined our community. Maybe you can even do an outro and we can do something like this together. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together. 